0: mentioned we we learn from the God of the ages from the God that spans all of the epochs of time ever since time itself was created we learn that from his word the one who has revealed inspired inerrant infallible truth about all of time and especially necessary for us of those epochs that we had no no experience of we look here again this morning at the epoch of creation itself. That in the beginning, God made everything. He made everything that we know. Everything that exists. Our world, we learn of here, our world of, of, of what it was before sin entered into it. Before sin entered into God's perfect creation. Why was mankind originally, specially created? What originally set us apart from the rest of creation? What is our original function in God's creation? And in answering those questions here from Genesis 1 and verses from Genesis 2, we also understand what restoration looks like. We also get a better understanding of of how through the gospel the good news that we can be in relationship with God again and that we can grow in what it means to be in relationship with God again. From our original, what we were created to be, we learn what restoration looks like. What it means to be able to relate to God, relate to each other, relate to his creation the way that we were intended to. As we've talked about, Part of the definition of an epoch of time, an age of time, is that it begins with a world-changing event. I I saw um, a book in in the window of a shop downtown. I think it was maybe Milligan's. And it says, The American American Epoch. And I would assume that the the world-changing event that would begin the American epoch would maybe be the Declaration of Independence or the Revolutionary War or or the the pilgrims crossing the Atlantic. And it began the American epoch. And and so as I mentioned, part of the definition of an epoch is that it begins with a world-changing event. And, And so we looked at how a universe-changing event was when God created it. Okay, so imagine that, that, that world or universe-changing event being like a door. Okay, that, that in opening that door, you pass into that epoch of time. Okay, and so, if you will, Genesis 1-1 is like what's printed on that door of creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And that's the door over that epoch of of the universe itself, the existence of the universe. And in opening that door, you pass into the rest of Genesis 1 where there's murals on the hallway of the creation of the universe in six days. Okay, And, and so have that picture in your mind here because we're about to, we come upon another door of verses 26 through 29. And on that door is written of the creation of mankind. The creation of of mankind made in the image of God, made male and female in the image of God. And to enter into it through that door, into the hallway, is what we find in chapter 2, in verses there, of a mural of what it looked like, what it was like, that God created man and God created woman from man. But verses 26 through 29 of Genesis 1 is like what's written on that door, explaining generally the creation of mankind. And here we read the summary written on the door of this epoch of, of, of the creation of mankind. It says, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish and over the of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth and, and we looked some weeks ago at how God in his in, in when it was in the beginning God, before any of creation existed, he existed in his triune community nature, God in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And he says to himself, he conferences with himself saying, let us make man in our image. And verse 27 says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And we see three aspects here of the special creation of man in this general description of it that we'll, we'll look into here this morning. The special nature of how we were created in the relational nature of our being created, in relationship between us and God, in obedient likeness to him, the relationship between male and female, and the relationship to each other and the rest of creation. And thirdly, we'll see the special function for which we were created, to exercise dominion over the rest of creation. And our special function is highlighted to the first man and woman, where it says, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the ground, on the earth. Now notice, notice, We haven't gotten to the detailed description of how man was created and how woman was created from man. This is why I say this is the general description written on the doorway, if you will, of what God did and what we will learn about as we pass through that door in verses 4 through 17 and, and following of chapter 2. But it says, God said to them. Notice this is different than all of his other actions of creation in the six days of creation. Even in that day uh, when he created the animals, God spoke to them. This is different from all of those other actions where it says, and God said, or God blessed them, saying, even with the same blessing to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, it says he, he, he blessed them, saying, but here he says, he said to them. He spoke a blessing to man and his wife. This is not the beginning of man's evolution. This is not the beginning of some caveman that hasn't discovered language yet or something. God, on the day that man was created, spoke to to him related to him as we will see in chapter 3 the uh, the the nature of God's relationship with with him when when God would come walking in the cool of the day to spend time with man and woman made in his image and Genesis 2 verses 4 through 17 give us a special look into the creation of the first man and woman So so passing through the door that on it says that God created man and woman in his own image, we pass through that door and we see the detail, the first man and the woman from man carrying all the likeness of God herself as well. And we, we enter into the description of what Jameson Fawcett describes as a creature who was to be God's representative, clothed with authority and rule as visible head and monarch of the world. I want you to notice as as we pass into this hallway with murals on the wall describing the creation of the first man and the first woman, that the first thing we should notice is God uses a different name for himself. Prior to this, he was El. Showing his mighty power. Now he uses the Lord God, his covenant-keeping name, his relationship name, if you will, with man. So we pick up in Genesis two verses, verse four. These are the generations of the heaven and the earth when they were created. In the day the Lord God made the heaven and the earth and the heavens. Now, in my study process, one of the first steps I take is observations, making observations. And one of the observations I write down, and I make these a personal conversation with the Lord as, I, as I'm studying his word. One of the co- observations I wrote down was, generations, why did you explain it this way? These are the generations. Why did he inspire Moses to write it in this way? Well, you could translate this, these are the account of Okay, This is the history moving forward. And Moses, as the Holy Spirit inspires him to write this, is, is in some ways we see into it an explanation from his point of view in history. I'm not saying that it carries any error or fallibility that, that would come with Moses because God's inspired work in his scripture is infallible, inerrant. But in some ways, we see Moses' challenge as we are. Uh, I won't get into that for a second. But to me, it seems a good explanation for the statements that follow. And I don't know if you were ever kind of confused. Like, it's got backtracking here? What's going on here? In the, following, in the following verses, it's kind of written in an after-the-fact fashion, okay? So see in verse 5. So he says, I'm sorry. He says, these are the generations of the heaven and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the heaven the earth and the heavens and then verse 5 when no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up for the Lord God had not caused rain to on the land and there was no man to work the ground and a mist was going up from the land and watering the whole face of the ground now let me stop there you see this is almost like Moses is writing this saying Okay, none of this that we know of was going on yet. Okay, and so I take from that that the bush and the small plant that he's talking about are the weeds that came with sin. And there was no rain yet, which came with the flood. And we'll get into that when we get to the flood. But a mist would grow, would, would rise up and would water the earth. Um, and he says, and there was no man to work the ground. Well, needing to work the ground, like the need to work the ground this is my opinion here. It came with sin because otherwise God caused the, the the plants to spring forth. Okay, so, so Moses is saying, okay, this is how things went down. Okay, t- saying it in terminology that the reader could understand from the epoch we live in where there's weeds where there's the need to walk the ground, where it rains. Just a side note here to talk about this mist. The theory is that there was a canopy, a dense atmosphere that covered the earth, that provided watering for the earth, but also explains why people lived for hundreds of years before what? Before the flood, before it rained. And, and like I said, we'll get to this when we, when we get to the flood in Genesis. But part of the deluge that, that covered the earth was the collapse of that canopy, I believe. And, and that's a theory. That's my opinion that I go along with with that, that theory. We can't know that for certain. We can raise our hand and ask that question when we, when we get to heaven, right? Notice it says, then... Before all this happened, the Lord God formed the man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living creature. We'll look at the special nature here of how God created the crown of his creation. Can anybody not see the special nature of how God brought man to life? And anthropomorphism, which means describing God in a human way, breathing into him. And like I said, we'll, we'll come back to this. And it says, And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The tree of life could provide immortality to, to Adam. Adam. And, and to Eve as well, and we'll see in Genesis 3 that that's part of the reason why God drove sinful man away from the garden, that he might not eat from the tree of life and live forever. So we'll see that. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was there as well, and we'll touch on that a little bit this morning, but th- these are broad brush strokes that we will focus in on and see the detail of further in the book of Genesis. But next we see a description of the land. Moses refers to things that were there by referencing some things that are still there when he wrote. Okay, notice that. If you've ever like wondered why is this written this way? Maybe you haven't but uh, you don't get geeky like I do when when you read the scriptures but pick up in verse 10. A river, now, now notice the little bit of combination of past tense and present tense. A river flowed, out of Eden, to water the garden. And there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon because its name w- is still Pishon. And it is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah where there is gold, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Bedlium, like which is some sort of uh, wax or something like that. And onyx stone are there. The name for the second river is the Gihon, and that one and the one it is the one that flowed around the whole of the land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows. Okay, so upon Moses' writing, I would assume the Tigris is still around. East of Assyria, and the fourth river is the Euphrates. So what's going on here? And and like I said, we'll get to this when we get to talking about the flood in Genesis. The flood messed up the geography of Eden. There is no Eden anymore. There was no Eden after the flood. Some of those rivers were still there. Some of those rivers weren't still there. Moses is talking in terms of this was there. this This thing is still there. Okay, so understand that. In some ways, Moses can identify with us. He's speaking of an epoch that he doesn't live in. So this brings us up to God bringing together man and the rest of his creation. said, so the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, like if we were moving through this and having a Bible study together, we would have kind of gotten to the end of our observations of these verses. But what's important, what we want to walk away from here this morning is, what is God's message for us from these verses for today? We are made like God to bring God glory. We were made like God to bring God glory. And we are made in the likeness of God to bring bring glory to him in our relationships. Notice there the three special natures of the creation of mankind, the special nature of how we were created in likeness with God. This is the special nature of the, the relational nature of our being created. We were created in community by the community God and the special function for which we were created to exercise dominion, to care for creation. And this, I believe, is God's message for harvest for our time and for our context. And first, I want to challenge you to recognize that mankind is a special part of God's creation. Mankind is a special part of God's creation. And I challenge you, don't let anyone take that from you. And I think as we look at some of the specific natures of that, you may recognize that without knowing it, you have let people take that truth from you from you, that mankind was created as a special nature, a special part of God's creation. And we saw that verse in, in verses 26a in tw- through 27. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And God created us in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, and so the him is referring to mankind. And mankind is made up of male and female. He created them. This is not the impersonal nature of God's work in those first five and a half days of creation where it says, let there be beasts. Let them fill the earth. It is more uh, like the let us do something amazing now. God's speaking to himself about our creation. And it states at four different times in his image, in our likeness. Male and female. The male and female nature of humanity is highlighted here. Other animals were met, created male and female. But God takes a special care in explaining how we being made in male and female are an expression of of the image of God. We use the term uh, spitting image. He's the spitting image of his dad. And I did a little research on what this, where this came from. And originally it kind of meant he's as if his dad spit him out of his mouth. I don't know if I'll use that term anymore. We have quarters, okay? Quarters are imprinted. They're minted with the image of George Washington. Because he's the embodiment of American heritage, the embodiment of of the values that our nation was founded with. Every man and and woman bears the image, the likeness of God, intended to be the created embodiment of who he is. And sadly, fallen man creates hierarchies. Okay, And so in, in, uh, even in the, the cultures of the day, like with the Egyptians, as Moses is writing this, it's common in cultures outside of where biblical Christianity has impacted them in this way to consider only the nobility or the king or the chief to be made in God's likeness. Think of, of the Egyptian culture. Pharaoh himself was the likeness of the sun god on earth. He was the likeness of their pinnacle of their pantheon. It, it's in our DNA, our sinful crea- uh, impacted DNA to create hierarchies. Think of the Catholic church, if you will. Y- you gotta be a special kind of righteousness to level up and be a saint. But the truth that we were created with is that every man and woman are made in the likeness of God. And it's the work of the enemy always in our default sinful nature to try to take that away from us. And maybe in the form of saying, well, that guy over there, he's, he's really in the likeness of God. Maybe you could get to that point one. Chapter 2, verse 7 points out God's special work in creating the first man. As we mentioned, breathing into his nostrils the breath of life that he might become a living creature. It's a special language of human life flowing from God himself and passing on to woman as she's created from man, as we will see next week. It's a, it, this term formed is like the skilled work of a potter shaping clay. Maybe, have you ever been to a wax museum? Okay, that's the point that man is at here where he's been shaped by God, but there's no life in him. Nobody would walk through the Latinx Museum and be like, I'm worried that one of these guys is gonna jump out at me. Maybe, maybe you've had the experience of, of being by a loved one or, or, or someone who, who the life has passed out of them. And there's a distinct difference there. They're gone. Somebody, they're not gone, they're laying right. No, they're gone. That's the state that Adam is in here before God breathed, supplied with life in a way that came especially from God himself. And human life is special in its nature. We can kind of see this in the example of, of CPR, breathing for a person before their body has completely let go of life. I did a little homework on this. A- and a person can go without oxygen with, for six minutes, possibly before there's permanent damage to their brain. Imagine an EMT that could breathe the breath of life, bringing someone to life again after they've been dead for an hour or for two days. I mean, that would be like, get him here, right? Fly him here. Imagine somebody that could breathe life into one of those wax figures. And we've seen lots of horror movies, you know, describing, I, I haven't seen, maybe you haven't seen, but they've, they've been made. Breathing life into a wax figure. Imagine somebody with that power. Understand that the new creation is a restoration. When somebody becomes a new creation, uh, we're told that, that, that if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is passed away. The new has come. What is the new? It's a restoration back to living life as we were intended to live, that God is our breath. Notice that, that, how the New Testament plays out in this way when Jesus appears again to his apostles. In, in the upper room, it says, and he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Understand that when a person comes to know Christ as their Savior, that just as at Pentecost, it says, and there was a sound of a rushing wind, God breathes his life into us again in the form of the Holy Spirit. We are restored back to finding life itself again as we were intended, as we were created to be. When somebody comes to Christ as their Savior, it's a restoration back to the relationship, to the existence that we were meant to have. And we won't fully experience that until we are out of this sinful world and in God's presence. But it's a restoration process. And to be on gospel mission is to be living in such a way that proclaims the gospel, that proclaims the fact that Jesus took our sins and offers us his righteousness and we can be restored back to breathing the breath of God again, giving people the opportunity to have God's breath breathed into them again and to take on new life. And the way that we are called to represent God on this planet is relationally. To relate to others as you were made to do. That's what I'm going to challenge you with. Relate to others in the way that you were made to relate to them. In the way that you relate to each other. And I mean generally, in a sense of, in a general respect for human life. Let me ask you this. Do you know why at one point capital punishment the taking of a person's life by a court system was instituted by God? And I'm not saying that the modern examples of this are perfect. Okay? This is not a blanket endorsement of capital punishment, but it was instituted by God after the flood during his covenant with Noah, which we'll get into in Genesis 9, where it says in Genesis 9, 6, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. We should have a general respect for human life because humans are made in the image of God. The murder of the Holocaust in which 6 million Jews were killed was driven by demonic Darwinian philosophy. It was driven by the idea that if we just weed out the lesser, weaker people, we can further man's evolution and create the master race. Do you know how many unborn babies have been killed worldwide since January? Since January. 25 million. Four holocausts four holocausts 1.5 billion with a b 1.5 billion babies have been killed since 1980 because no one knows or no one cares that they were made in the image of God and even if you or someone you love has experienced an abortion Understand that restoration in a relationship with God is to be restored back to our understanding of what human life is. And there's forgiveness as there is with any other sin. And there's restoration and renewal and a value of that human life. We're not just supposed to respect generally human life, but we're also supposed to be respecting male and female. We saw there that, that God created his image in the form of male and female. And understand, the gospel is meant, as I said, to restore mankind to function in the likeness of God. In the same way, in New Testament times, the gospel was revolutionary in relationship between male and female. It intended to restore just as it intended to restore man to his former glory of being made in the image of God, it was intended to restore woman to her former glory of also being made in the image of God equal in value with men. And this was mind-blowing in New Testament times. This is why Galatians 3.28 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. In other words, there's no hierarchy here. And this was revolutionary. Revolutionary. That women would be elevated again to their place of equal value in their essence of being able to image God's likeness. This is why Peter wrote to Christian husbands, saying, Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. That was mind blowing in New Testament times. So this week we see how men and women are equal in essence. Next week we'll focus on how men and women are different and how we express being made in God's likeness, being made in God's image. The whole idea that, of woman being taken from man and so on. But I, I also want to challenge you to relate to God in obedience. This should change how we relate to each other, but also in the fact that we should relate to God in obedience. From the very beginning, man was given, male and female were given the responsibility to remain morally obedient to God. Mankind has always had a moral responsibility to obey his creator. And that's expressed in the existence of the tree of knowledge of good and evil where he says you shall not eat of it. And obviously we're going to get into this when we get into Genesis 3. How God created man in his likeness should change how we relate to others. Let me ask you something. Let me give you an example of how de- discounting how God created mankind leads to disobedience and leads to dehumanizing of people. Do you know what is the full or or the the alternate title? As books, you know, books often will have their title and then it will say or and kind of an alternate title of Darwin's landmark publication. His landmark publication that we know as On the Origin of the Species. Or maybe you might even know it as On the Origin of Species by Means of Natural Selection. But let me show you up on the screen here the full title. Or bound below it says, On the Origin of Species by Means of Natural Selection. Or... The Preservation of Favored Races in the Struggle for Life. It was written as an explanation of why certain races that at that time seemed favored were so. An explanation otherwise of why other races that did not seem favored namely african mongolian aboriginal in east indian why they didn't seem favored and the answer was they're not as evolved they're not as human as the white man as the westerner the origin of the species was written as an explanation for racism for why we can be racist, for why we should be racist. The Western world may have outlawed slavery. We may have fought a civil war to decide that our nation was not going to be enslaving other people, but the enemy found another way to degradate man being made in the likeness of God. And, it's, and it honestly it, it started another epoch of time with the publication of this book. I want you to challenge you to Google something. Human zoos. There's a picture here from Coney Island in the early 1900s. See, even though slavery had been outlawed, even though we had fought a civil war to decide that man could not own slaves in the United States... At at almost every world's fair since the publication of Darwin's book, there would be human zoos in which they had rounded up and enslaved less evolved people and would put them on display as the quote-unquote missing links. Another name that you can uh, Google is uh, Oda Benga, O-T-A, last name Binga, B-E-N-G-A. In 1906, he was kept at the Bronx Zoo and called the Missing Link. He was a Congo pygmy. Ten years after the the mayor finally chose to release him, he committed suicide. Do you think that whether we land on creation or evolution doesn't matter in how we treat other people? probably for obvious reasons. Um, The Bowen household takes this very personally. We have modern day human zoos. They're called strip clubs. Right? The dehumanizing of people. It's called pornography. Treating people like animals. Treating people like meat doesn't just dehumanize them it dehumanizes us doesn't it the form we were created in is in the likeness of god and we won't be able to get into the function of our being made in god's image i think that we will as as we've said be able to hit on this more in future but the new testament talks about us being restored it talks about when a person comes to Christ as their Savior, they put on the new self. Colossians 3.10 sal- challenges us. Put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. The Ephesians 4.24 says, Put on the new self after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. You see, in the restoration process, as God grows us into back into the image of his creator, not only is there forgiveness, not only is there growth, but there is a brought, a bringing of value to what it means to be human, not just for myself, but for the other people in my world. It's a returning back to what we were made to be. And that's possible through our relationship with God. Let's bow our heads. Father God, thank you for striving with us. Thank you, Lord God, for bringing redemption into this world through your son Jesus. Thank you Lord God for the opportunity of having your breath breathed into us again. Lord God I pray that you would allow us to live in relationship with you through Christ. I pray Lord God that you would keep us from allowing the demonic philosophy of this age from degrading other people in our minds and in our hearts, and that as you renew us in Christ, you would bring a new value to who we are and to who other people are in our lives. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so.